Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about International Women's Day and Governor Andrew Cuomo, the COVID bonanza bill, and Arizona's ballots in the dumpster program. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. President Biden, sure hate to say those words, President Biden in Washington over this past weekend signed two executive orders, and these were to fall on today, which is today is International Women's Day. I'll get to his orders in one moment, and then we'll talk about Governor Cuomo. But I want to start by talking about International Women's Day. I just came from a conference over the weekend and in Florida, and there were, you know, 200 maybe of people who are really conservative, well-informed, patriotic activists. And I was struck looking around the room at how many of them are women, women leaders. And you know, I'll tell you something, it's not that brave to be a woman feminist. It's not that brave to be a woman who stands up to say she stands for a pro-abortion or pro-choice stance. It's not brave for women in America to speak up about the latest gender equity argument or the latest argument with respect to women's pay or any other socialist program the left pushes along, trying to make people paid the same no matter what they do. None of those things, standing up for left-wing arguments that are allegedly feminist arguments is not brave in America. It's just going along with the crowd. Brave women in America are exemplified by many of the women I saw over this weekend. They're genuine conservative leaders. They lead pro-life organizations. They lead organizations to reach out to people around the world, girls who are mistreated in countries around the world. They're organizations that help to step in and fill the gap for young girls who are struggling because they've lost their place in the foster program or they don't have a place to go. Genuine women leaders, the ones I saw over the weekend, speak up and say the things that the mainstream media doesn't want to hear. For International Women's Day, I love celebrating the strength of women I love celebrating strong women. I love celebrating women who work hard to exemplify, to give voice to women who don't have any voice. Unfortunately, like many other holidays focused on a particular group, International Women's Day often gets hijacked by leftists who claim the only thing that counts for standing up uh, or being a woman leader and being part of the, one, the group that should be celebrated International Women's Day are the ones striving for the left-wing agenda. It's not heroic at all to do that. It's, in fact, what the left-wing media expects of you. But back to what Biden did over the weekend. So there are two executive orders that were signed by the Biden administration, allegedly, of course, going along with the idea of they're the ones that believe they stand for gender equality. So the first one that is called the White House Gender Policy Council is going to be a four-member panel created first by Barack Obama, uh, under some different name, disbanded by President Trump and now put back in place by President Biden, into addressing gender and policies and programs and budgets on a government-wide scale. Let me translate in plain English. What that's going to mean is that in order to get anything done, any policy put forward, any program put forward, 
people in, on this team, to the extent they have the capacity and willingness to actually work on this team, are going to challenge many common sense programs and try to find an argument that somehow the program does not exemplify or carry forth gender equity. So it's going to be another regulatory, leg regulatory hurdle for programs and policies to moving forward because they're going to be examining across the board in the federal government gender and policies programs and budgets it's basically another regulatory um, stomp down uh, and 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 just interference with um, with policy in america but the second one is even more troubling we've talked about this idea many times on this show so the second order Biden signed over the weekend to honor International Women's Day um, is to direct the Department of Education to review Title IX regulation that was issued under the Trump era Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. The regulation, and let me just go back and remind you, because we used to talk about this a lot on my show several years ago, under the Obama administration, when these cases were rampant. Under the Obama administration, under the guise of protecting women, the Department of Education put forth a policy that applied to college campuses, which essentially said one single act of sexual harassment by a guy on a college campus, one single act of harassment, not physical conduct necessarily at all, but just sexual harassment was had to be taken by the college as a serious concern. Programs were set up in college campuses to review the conduct of males about whom complaints were made. And as you likely recall, whether you heard it in my show or others, the result was that in many college campuses in America, the kind of interaction often occurs on college campuses between young men and young women, uh, many of whom it turned, some of whom later it turned out were unhappy with the way the relationship didn't come together, unhappy because he didn't call her again, unhappy because it turned out he liked her best friend better, all sorts of things, all sorts of incidents ended up under the, because of this order from the federal government, end up in front of a council or a program put in place by the college in which the male student who was accused by a female of some wrongdoing was dragged in front of this hearing. The entire process, in fact, some campuses, we actually went over this years ago, some campuses actually wrote the policy to say this, essentially, that the woman's complaint was simply presumed to be true, whatever she was complaining about. And it may have been something truly reprehensible behavior that she was alleging, but, but her saying, I was, you know, he touched me when I didn't want him to, he did this or that, I didn't, I didn't agree to this. It was treated by the process as true, and the accused guy was treated as though he was guilty and, and therefore, and somehow had to find a way to prove his innocence. Resulted in the suspension and expulsion of young men in college for conduct for which they had no ability to, to defend themselves. The entire system under the guise, under the structure set up by the, the federal government, Department of Education or Title IX, essentially treated guys on college campuses as guilty, presumed guilty, unless they can somehow scrounge around and prove innocence. And many cases resulted in having the young man who was suspended or expelled file litigation against the college, point out, hey, nothing happened here, or we had a consensual relationship and then it ended and now she's complaining. But these students had to, and their, their suspension or expulsion from college included that they were suspended or expelled for sexual harassment, leaving them in, a, leave ext them in an extremely difficult position to be accepted in another college 
or in any other uh, place in life to move forward in life. This was an egregious overstepping by the radical left. College campuses readily embraced it, didn't want to go get sideways at all with the Obama administration. So you had college campuses simply treating their students, their male students, as though if an allegation is made, you're pretty much toast, you're pretty much out of here. And the girl was, the young woman who was complaining was treated as truthful and it was actually considered kind of an assault on her to even question her story. So that was happening and under this, um, this program, lawsuits resulted, colleges had to apologize, uh, young men talked about their life being ruined. I mean, it was a big mess. It was all because of the presumption coming out of the federal government that if a girl at a, on a college campus, and I'm not saying, obviously, sex harassment happens, sexual assault happens, rape happens. When real things like that happen, real sexual physical assault or real rape, then the remedy here in the United States of America is to go to the local police, file a charge, say, I, this happened to me. You're the young woman and you should. I urge young women to do that. But instead of having to do that and face the due process requirements our criminal justice system puts in place, due process tossed out the door for young men and instead a program put in place by the colleges which had the egregious effect of having young men suspended or expelled with sex harassment as the cause on their permanent record. So fortunately for sane people, when President Trump came along, he said, we're not doing that anymore. That's wrong. That's unfair. And you know, I, I've said before in the show, I, I'm the mother of adult, an adult daughter, two adult sons. I don't want my sons engaging in that kind of conduct. And I don't think they ever would. I don't want our daughter. I mean, our kids are grown, but our daughter, I would want her protected were she to be the recipient of that kind of conduct. But you can't set in place a program in college campuses that does this to young men. So back to what Biden did, he's putting, he's, he's laying the groundwork to put that back in place. He is going along with a radical feminist anti-men agenda that men should be treated as guilty because accused. And that's what it really was, guilty because accused. And that is coming back into play under the Biden administration. Kind of interestingly though, you've probably been following the news about New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is credibly accused now by five different women who work for him of having been uh, sex, of, of him having engaged in sexual harassment. Kind of bizarrely, because he's one of the premier well-known Democrat governors in America, Biden signs this order and you know makes a flowery, self-serving, aren't I wonderful, I'm standing up against sex harassment speech, while he then is not saying word one about Governor Cuomo. Now the recipient, as I say, of five different allegations of sex harassment. I wanted to play for you briefly, I sent to Matt, the very wonderful producer, a short clip. This is what Governor Cuomo had to say back at the time President Trump had nominated for the Supreme Court, now Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. So Kavanaugh is nominated and the Me Too movement's gone wild, an allegation here Kavanaugh is in his, I think, 50s or so, maybe late 40s or 50s, and he's hearing an allegation for the first time by a girl he went to high school with, which he's never heard before, and the allegation is being brought in front of the entire country, in front of the Senate hearing, confirmation hearing, and the entire country alleging that at a party in high school he engaged in what clearly was inappropriate conduct had he done that. But you know, the whole notion there, again, the feminist, the radical left pounces on Kavanaugh, must be treated as guilty because charged. So here's what Kavanaugh, here's what Andrew Cuomo, now standing accused, had to say about Kavanaugh when he was accused. 
there is a disrespect for women that this administration chronically uh, exemplifies. After the Me Too movement, they did absolutely nothing when it came to sexual harassment. Uh, they have always diminished the charges of women. <laughs> I'm sure he's kicking himself for that. But anyway, so now he's got five different women. A couple of them are talking about physical conduct, conduct, contact, conduct. And others are talking about suggestive, you know, let's play strip poker, kind of just completely inappropriate. I mean, completely inappropriate. But the hypocrisy is kind of mind-blowing. Because I don't think Cuomo just started sexually harassing women last week. And of course, you know, he's saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, I, I don't, you know, these haven't been proven. These people are just saying this about me. But that's the same thing that Kavanaugh was saying. You know, this is just someone I haven't even seen since high school. And, and this is now, you know, now I'm in my 50s and, and we're having this, this discussion on na the national stage. So it's a little bit hypocrisy was my first point about Cuomo uh, in this era of international women's. And then also, Cuomo has come forward and saying he will not resign. He does not intend to resign. You know, these are just allegations. And I want to have, I think we had a little trouble getting this clip. I think we have this clip from, yeah, we have this clip from Matthew Wonderful, what Cuomo is saying now. The system is based on due process uh, and the credibility of the allegation. Anybody has the ability to make an allegation in democracy, and that's great. But it's in the credibility of the allegation. Uh, and we've gone through this with the legislature. I remember when we set up uh, Jacob, we set up this whole elaborate process that the accusation was private. Uh, the person who was accused got a private letter, but the accusation was, was uh, private. Why? Because... Uh, it's damaging to publicize allegations before you know that they are credible. Uh, Jacob has hundreds of allegations, but until they are reviewed, they are private. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's just entertaining. It is very entertaining. But on a very serious note on this subject, the hypocrisy of the left that all of this stuff about Kavanaugh was to be believed without further question, and everybody just has to pile on and say, me too, you're done. And Cuomo now has five different women who actually have worked with him in very recent years. These aren't people 40 years ago saying something bad about high school. These are current employees or very recent employees or other contacts who are saying this. Uh, and he's just basically saying, too bad. Neil says, I'm not resigning. The people of New York, you know, elected me and I work for them, blah, blah. So, you know, the hypocrisy is kind of rich. I will say also on the subject of the, how the left is handling this, two more points in the first five today. Three more points in the first five. Number one, it's also ironic that Biden is making a huge deal of International Women's Day and spouting off with these new ideas when his party at the same time is trying to go down the path of saying there's no such thing as being a man or a woman, which is exactly what the left stands for. There's no such thing as a man or a woman. Anybody is whatever they say they are and whatever they change their mind to be whether they have surgery or anything else, they're just what they identify as. So how can you be the gender, gender identity, gender transition, gender doesn't exist, or whatever it is, 107 genders, whatever they claim it is, and, and, and have some pure clarity about what it means to stand up for women? I mean, it's just complete hypocrisy, absurdity about, out of the American left. Uh, number two, 
on Cuomo, the idea that the left is more upset about women saying he essentially was flirtatious. That was his word answering. He said uh, they have, you know, they may have misinterpreted, you know, misinterpreted slightly flirtatious conduct or something like that. You know, he's basically ah, a little bit of a flirt. So what? The Democrats ought to be more worried and more focused on removing this guy because he was responsible truly, personally, and, and, and without being able to cast blame anywhere else, himself responsible for the deaths of senior citizens in retirement homes in New York when he knowingly consciously decided to get people who were stricken with COVID-19 out of the hospitals were overcrowded and sick in the nursing homes, which then resulted in deaths of, and they, originally his administration tried to lie about it. They said it was only, only 8,500 to 9,000 deaths, which is still a whole lot of deaths, a whole lot of sweet older people who had families who loved them, children and grandchildren and families who loved them. But then his administration compounded that hypocrisy or that just uh, cavalier disregard for life by engaging in deception and telling America, well, okay, as it turned out, we kind of lied about it. It really wasn't, it was really more like 15,000, 15,000. If you're a Democrat, you know, it's a far bigger and more egregious offense to, to like sane people that he's maybe a little bit too inappropriate and flirtatious with women he works with, then he caused the death of 15,000 senior citizens. But somehow the left, all is about appearances, you know, and uh, two other things. Okay, this is just kind of, I, I want to hit two other quick points in the story, and then we'll finally wrap it up. Uh, one is that in California, the, to, the, the, to the, art, the point about the absurdity of the left trying to deny there's a difference between boys and girls and men and women, that we're all just, you know, fluidly, whatever we are, we just kind of make it up every day as we go along. In the state of California, there is a bill pending, it hasn't passed yet, a bill pending that is going to ban, ban toy stores from having signs up that say girls' toys and boys' toys. Girls section, boys section. Can that they want to ban that because it is, you know, somehow damaging to a young child, uh, or it is somehow, you know, steering them into accepting their gender identity based on their their physiology, based on their biology. I mean, the thing is so flaming absurd. But only in California, not only does it actually make its way to a real bill in in the legislature, but they're actually talking about, yeah, it looks like it might pass. Now, tell me this, my friends. There is no, or let me make something clear. There's no reason in the world, if you own a toy store and you just want to have toys and you don't want to have a boys section and a girls section, you can do that. Stores can do that if they want to, or they can have them labeled however they want to do. This is called freedom in America. But the left is so obsessed with controlling every aspect of American life that they think this is legitimate. That this is legitimate to order, to mandate, to make it a law that if you run a toy store in California, you've got to comply with their gender identity, bender, gender bender weirdness, and no longer label toys boys and girls. I have to tell you, I have friends, uh, mom friends of mine, who said that when they go to the toy store, their daughters are always more interested in the toys in the boys section. They like, you know, trucks and cars or whatever, which is great. Nobody cares. True of many, many kids. Some girls like boys stuff and some boys like, that's fine, that, that happens. But it's a freedom thing. Let the stores decide, the parents decide, not the state of California, which is the, the, um, you know, the kind of epitome of the nanny state if there ever was one. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. 
Okay, I want to know, um, it's very interesting. I, I have to tell you, whenever I come back to the show on Mondays, I'm always kind of loaded for bear because on Mondays, I've been thinking all weekend since last Thursday what to talk about. And there's more to talk about, always more to talk about than there is time to talk. But I guess that's not a bad thing. But uh, Congress is now, I actually uh, texted a friend of mine uh, who works on Capitol Hill. I was trying to catch up with, because I, I thought about doing a little segment today, just kind of talking about the tyranny of the left. And just to, just to think about in the first six weeks since we've had the Biden administration, I mean, you know, we're at, maybe it's more than six weeks now, whatever it is, you know, seven weeks that Biden's been president. Everything coming out of the administration is all about centralizing power, centralizing control, taking freedom away from individual Americans and dictating what the American people must do and what they must think. It, it, there has just never been in this country a more Marxist and more totalitarian regime than what we have in power right now. I'm going to talk about the, the, the COVID bill in just one moment, but just a quick other rundown of things that are on the, that the left is doing um, that are, I just think merit some attention. Um, one is this Equality Act. And we mentioned last week, this Equality Act bill is trying to add gender identity and gender gender identity, uh, transgender status. It's got some new categories. Basically, legitimizing normal, not just legitimizing and normalizing gender transition or the whole concept that we really aren't born with a particular sex, that we're just kind of born, we could be anything we want. But the Equality Act is trying to make that a protected class like race, sex, national origin, religion, which are things that we protect in law. We say, you know, you can't run a business and discriminate pe against people based on race, sex, national origin, religion. And I, I agree with those. I, I think to have a civil society, you have to have people able to engage in commerce and, and freely. But what this is getting at is that you can no longer even have a notion that people have a particular gender. This Equality Act is eviscerating, eviscerating the very concept of having gender. So you have men should be able to shower in the women's locker rooms, men who are physically anatomically male, most women not that excited to take a shower anywhere near them, but they're allowed, their rights to feel like they think they're a woman that day so they can use a women's shower, their rights trump the rights of individual women who've come to expect in a modern civilized society a degree of privacy. They would like to take a shower in the gym locker room without really worrying some guy is in there. That's one, but other far more serious implications of the Equality Act. It is a complete crushing of religious freedom. It's a complete crushing of the right of parents to teach their children what, you know, that, what their idea of identity based on the Bible, based on what Christian and Jewish parents and other parents have taught their kids, you know, like for 4,000 years since time began. You know, there are boys and there are girls, and, and this is what, you know, this is what we are. Parents are going, parents are going to be challenged. They're going to be telling their kids at home what the truth is about gender and identity. And the kids go to school and they're taught, no, 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 don't listen to your parents or your pastor or your priest or your family doctor. You know, you're not really a girl. If you want to be a guy, you can be a guy, you know, and we can help you. This entire destruction of the family unit, interference with the rights of parents to teach their children what they believe. This is an entire disruption of the culture of families and community-based Judeo-Christian society, and this is why they're doing it. So the Equality Act, where that stands is, uh, it's stuck in the Senate. Apparently, they're having a little bit of trouble getting enough votes to pass it in the Senate. Um, H.R. 1, the uh, permanent vote fraud mandate. H.R. 1 is the bill 
that the Democrats, if they get it passed, the mission is it will completely overtake all election laws in the country. It will be federal control of the elections with every conceivable tactic for vote fraud used in California and other states, not only permitted, but mandated. Every state will have to do what California does, which is a series of things such as the mail-in mail ballot extravaganza, uh, the use of ballot harvesting. All of that will not just simply be permitted. It'll be mandated from the federal government. Talk about tyranny. The goal is everyone can see it, including the Democrats can see it. It is the Democrat bill that will say no Republican will ever win a national election again. That is the goal. It's complete control of the Democrat by the Democrat Party of the entire election process, permitting, mandating vote fraud tactics to be used and prohibiting election integrity provisions from being enforced. So they're hot off the presses, the Democrat Party. I mean, they, they hit the ground running as we knew they would. Equality Act, no more you parents teaching your kids anything about life, identity, who we are. Uh, number two, HR1, this idea that we're going to have the, um, the elections run by the government, uh, federal government, and no more control by the states. And then number two and three in the amnesty bill, uh, that one is stumbling a little bit. The amnesty bill is starting, uh, stumbling a little bit. Not sure why, it's in the Senate. And, um, and, but there is talk within the, inside the Senate staffers that it doesn't really matter that much because Biden's gonna do most of it by executive order. I don't know if that's true, but I will say, I think that the amnesty thing is a huge thing the Democrats want. Last thing, there's a relatively new thing, uh, thing there's a, a PRO Act, a new bill that is uh, being floated around. Uh, and it's basically this PRO Act, P-R-O, being floated around in Washington will eliminate all the right to work legislation in every state. You know, every states are either right to work, meaning you, you have a right to work even if you don't wanna join the union and other states permit the union monopoly and saying, you know, unions can completely control and if you, the employee, if you wanna work in that business that's covered by the union, you gotta you got sign up and you gotta do what the union says. So this PRO Act is again, the federal government getting in the middle of it in all the states uh, with the idea of forcing the states to eliminate all uh, workers' rights legislation. All, I, I mean, these people, understand, they hit the ground running. They are going to take away every conceivable element of freedom in this country as fast as they can before the people wake up. Now I want to talk about the COVID bill very quickly. COVID bill, which is now at, standing at $1.9 trillion, T trillion dollars, 1.9 trillion, uh, far, you know, it's something like a third of it is actually relief to families who are struggling because of the government created crisis of overreacting to COVID and shutting down the economy. So the government created the crisis by overreacting to COVID. And then we have people who've lost jobs and businesses. So they're swooping in and saying, hey, don't worry, we're going we're gonna to send a lot of money your way. But the COVID bill is just brimming, brimming with excess things unnecessary for, um, for providing relief for COVID. And the other big thing that's emerging about it, and I want to mention, we're, I'm going to talk one, another day about the, the depth of the content of what is in this bill. But two things that really matter about understanding this COVID bonanza bill, beside the ridiculous spending, uh, one is that there is now money being that's going to go to families uh, with no, it's like welfare, no incentive to work. And you remember welfare reform, I think it was 1996 that happened, welfare reform. Uh, that was the idea that you shouldn't keep providing permanent welfare from the federal government 
without incentivizing families with able-bodied adults to work, you know, to become self-sufficient. The left, as I've tried to tell you for years, if you listen to the show a long time, for years, the left works, strives to create dependency on the government. It is, the, it is, if any other policy of the left, the determination to weaken the spirit of the American people, the sense of self-reliance, the ability of the American people to build their own lives and, and be self-reliant in, in taking care of their own needs and their family's needs. The left strives to create dependency to obliterate that self-reliant spirit because the left can't get to what it wants, a Marxist government, big control society, if the American people are imbued with the spirit of self-reliance. So this bill, back to the COVID bonanza bill, beside the many ridiculous things are in there, it actually specifically talks about, it sends somewhere between $250 and $350 per month per child to everyone with no work requirement. I mean, even Marco Rubio did tweet about this, that it's welfare. He, and he said being, in, in Rubio's tweet, he said, being pro-family means being pro-work. So, but the bill also rewards the blue states that participated in the unnecessary and still expanded shutdown under COVID. The bill requires the red states that behave responsibly and allow their economies to continue functioning at some level and the red states are bailing out the blue states, something Steve Moore has been on the show many times talking about, please don't do that. Do not get into this. Red states have to bail out the blue states. The blue states, the Democrat-led states, working very hard to weaken the economy, weaken the spirit of the American people, the entrepreneurial pro-business spirit, and have them become dependent on the state. And now all of that conduct by the blue state governors is being rewarded in this bill. So, so the COVID relief bill is, you know, a, a monster. Now, one interesting little iteration that happened on it is um, they're trying to pass it through reconciliation. We've talked about that process many times. The Democrats trying to avoid a flat out, uh, they're trying to avoid, avoid the filibuster in the Senate. So they tried to, are working on doing it through reconciliation. But the Senate parliamentarian ruled that the Democrats cannot, in this COVID bill, they cannot raise minimum wage. The reconciliation process, which they're trying to use, has certain rules attached. And one is you can't put stuff in a reconciliation bill unrelated to the purpose of the reconciliation bill. And this, God bless the Senate uh, parliamentarian who said, you can't do that. You can't raise the minimum wage. So that was booted out on the Senate side from the reconciliation bill. My friend on the Hill was saying, you know, I don't know what's going to happen because in the House side, AOC and her team, they're kind of like, we're not behind this bill unless we can get that $15 minimum wage in. So interesting stuff. But I really, I'll just, you know, I want to do this segment today just to make clear. I know I talked to you so many times um, over the last several years and definitely during the um, you know last few months before the election about trying to recognize how radically left America's Democrat Party is. They are pushing the Marxist agenda on America at lightning speed. All of the provisions I talked about, the many other ones we could talk about, all about the idea before we, you know, are awake and recognize what's happening, America has lost its, its free elections 
America will have lost the, if the amnesty thing passes, we'll have permanently and forever lost the ability to have free and fair elections if whatever it is, 11 to 30 million people are instantly made citizens and all told you're a citizen because of the very generous Democrats, not because of those mean Republicans. I, I mean, they are, on a, they are on a lightning speed path, the Democrats are, to not just seize power, but to permanently empower themselves through a series of laws that all have the excuse Anything they put out it always gets around somehow to race. They always find a reason to argue that what they're saying has to do with racial inequality. Or the, and they also get around to arguing that they're trying to correct um, the differences in income and, and social status and, 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 um, and wealth. I mean, they're just, they find a basis to argue that current life is unfair. And the solution is the expanding Marxist takeover of America. We are watching an extraordinary time. The, the COVID bonanza bill, folks, I really hope there are some Democrats who get a little ping of conscience and think this is lunatic. I mean, it's very hard for Democrats, if you, to be really clear, it's very hard for Democrats in the House or for Democrats in the Senate to ever deviate from the party line. Nancy Pelosi is known for many things, but most especially she is known, she keeps that Democrat caucus in tow. Nobody, an elected Democrat in the Congress, nobody is allowed to vote opposite of the Pelosi agenda without permission from her, and she'll let you know if she sees maybe you'll be in trouble in your district that you might get to vote the way you want. But don't think just because you sent someone you thought was a centrist Democrat, a really swell guy, a great gal, do not think they'll go up there and vote the right way. When they're faced with Nancy Pelosi, they'll vote exactly how she tells them to vote. Same on the Democrat side with the uh, arm twisting by Senator Schumer. Okay, one last quick topic for today, and then we're going to wrap it up on time, uh, which was Arizona's ballots in the dumpster program. And I am not kidding. I have to tell you, this was the most amazing story. Uh, Arizona's ballots in the dumpster. Um, and actually, before I get to that, I'll quickly tell you something else, uh, which was, you know, when I talk about the Biden administration just, just, you know, on a mission, the Biden administration on a mission to, to do everything conceivable that the Democrat Party wants during these first two years, because if they can't get their Voter Theft Act passed, HR1, you know, everyone knows America is going to boot out the Republican, they're going to boot out the Democrat majority in the House and the Senate. They'll return to Republican control and Biden's, you know, hysterical agenda is done. It'll be President Harris by then, but still, it, they'll have a Democrat in the White House. And so, everything they want to do. So, on the subject of elections, I'm going to get to Arizona ballot story in just a moment. It's a great, great story. But in Washington, uh, the... Uh, Biden just on a mission, uh, and I should be clear, I didn't capture these little clips. I could have captured these clips, but I haven't done it yet. There are a bunch of clips of Biden who gets up to make some prepared remarks. He's in the White House and he's going blah, blah, probably reading from a teleprompter, which isn't a bad thing. Most politicians do. But he wraps it up. He's standing there and he goes blah, blah. He never talks very long. And then he'll say at the end, and, and now I think we have time for questions. We, we could take some questions. And immediately, the White House feed, the, the uh, you know, showing you Biden standing there speaking, cuts him off. I mean, just cuts off the end, screen goes black. He can't handle questions. And he doesn't know he can't handle questions. He is so mentally compromised 
that he is able, apparently, to read a teleprompter, but the moment he says, we'll take questions, and just contrast that with how mentally alert President Trump was, how he would walk, his, his famous pressers leaving the White House, he would get out of the White House and be walking across the front lawn, the driveway of the front lawn of the White House to get on um, Marine One or wherever he was headed or into his car. And you know th there would be these great pressers right there that media's all standing there and say, hey, President Trump, blah, blah, blah. He could follow the issues, he could answer on the issues, he's up to speed on all of them. It was simply entertaining to watch every day. I played a lot of those clips in the show. Biden can't handle, you know, hasn't done a, any press conferences, hasn't given a speech, apparently is really going to skip the State of the Union, which has in the past been skipped during the first term of a president, the first year of his term, because there's really nothing to report on. He's only been there six weeks or something. But President Trump did a home run in his first year, first several weeks in the White House, um, you know, State of the Union ad address. And the Democrats had promised Biden was going to do one. Now they're backpedaling saying, I'm not sure about that. Anyway, he, he doesn't know what's going on, but he did. Whoever drafts these things for him did issue an order. Um, you know, they're trying to get this HR1 passed. Um, and so just, just enabling vote fraud, vote manipulation forever in America. On Sunday, uh, Biden added to the effort by signing another executive order, and this is ostensibly to enhance voting rights, enhance voting rights on the anniversary of the Selma protests of 1965. So he goes through his preliminary speech to explain why it is this is necessary, and he says, free and fair elections that reflect the will of the people must be protected. But many Americans, especially people of color, confronts significant obstacles to exercising that fundamental right. These obstacles include difficulties with voter registration. I mean, if they, I mean, I'm sorry, if I were a black American, I would be offended. He's saying black Americans can't figure out how to register to vote. That's what he's saying. I mean, it's insulting. It's actually insulting the way many of his things are toward women. The whole women are so helpless and stupid, you have to have regulations and policies in place because otherwise women could not possibly figure out how to handle themselves. But back to Biden, obstacles include difficulties registering, uh, lack of election information, like they can't go online and find election information. So anyway, blah, blah. He has a new, uh, new um, policy out, an ex executive order, uh, pouncing on the inability of black Americans apparently to, to register to vote. But he's trying to push... What he's trying to push in this is getting people in prisons who, at least according to our Constitution, that says the states set election law and states have different laws as to whether people in prison can vote or people who are convicted felons who serve their time can vote. That's long been a state issue. States have different rules. Lobbying happens all the time in different states about whether or not people who have a felony conviction should be able to vote. You know, it's an issue you can go on and on about. He's working from the federal level to say, let's get them all ready. Prison officials have to start getting, helping these people get ready, start explaining to them uh, uh, you know, how to do it, blah, blah. But the other thing he's doing, and this is, I mean, at least you gotta hand it to the Democrats. They don't hide very much what they're doing. They find fancy names. They find, you know, kind of these um, friendly sounding, oh, this is just to help America. This is to love America, the names. Uh, but the fact is they're, they're euphemistic names, but they don't have anything to do but what they're actually doing. But they're doing it right out in public. So here's what he's saying. He wants to, through this executive order, 
authorize more and more agencies and other entities, agencies and other entities, um, so that what his order says is it requires soliciting and facilitating approved nonpartisan third party organizations and state officials to provide voter registered service registration services on agency premises. So, you know, someone's going, okay, so, you know, Southern Poverty Law Center, do they get to register voters? Uh, ACLU, I mean, it is a, a just set up to try to get more agencies, individuals, organizations able to register voters. Who the heck knows who they'll register? Who the heck knows if these people will be legal citizens, not legal? You know, uh, whatever the source, wherever they turn to, um, it's, it, he says that the uh, language says is meant to promote voting access by leveraging resources of the federal government to increase access to voter registration services. So, you know, it always has the same, as the left always does, you know, same kind of um, sound to it. They're trying to be fair. What they're doing, as they did, it's kind of another expansion of the, what they did with the mail-in ballots. Just send out a wild number of mail-in ballots. Send them to everybody. You had people who said they got five mail-in ballots at their houses. Um, and then, you know, they register. And then who knows if they follow the procedures? Who knows if they're legally registered or not? And then if HR1 passes, who knows if they had any right to vote? If they're citizens, HR1 passes. You can't check anything. You have to accept day of registration. You can't compare signatures. And that's all in HR1. I mean, this is a, we're going to steal the election right in front of your face, and you American people aren't going to stop us. This is the message of Biden and the Democrats. Now, finally, Arizona, very briefly, Arizona, you may recall, was one of the states in which many serious allegations were made regarding the theft of the 2020 election. The key county involved is Maricopa County, which is, you know, the biggest county in terms of population, uh, and it is where Phoenix and Scottsdale are. So Maricopa County... There were uh, many, many questions raised about the voting machines in Maricopa County. Because that occurred, there was a, a senator, a state senator in Arizona, who said he wanted to examine, he wanted his staff or his, whoever he put together, his team, to examine the uh, voting machines, you know, the machines and I'm assuming they have paper ballots, please hope, you know, paper, but he wanted to examine, it was the machines, paper ba ballots from Maricopa County, because there are massive allegations of election fraud, of votes switched from Trump to Biden. So first, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors voted no. No, you can't do that. We're not going to give them to you. We, you can't look at them, which tell me anyone who trusts in the legitimacy of the election they ran, why they would say that. Why would any board of supervisors, which is the county government there, why would you say no if someone wants to look at your records? You should be saying, yeah, of course, here they are. Yeah, we'll, we'll help you. What do you want to see? But they just voted no, can't see them. So the Arizona legislature had to go to court, finally got an order telling them they have to allow the machines to be examined. So then next phase, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors said, okay, okay, okay. You know, we'll let the machines be examined, but we get to pick what company examines them. Okay, I was trying to think of a funny analogy. It's like the government got a search warrant for your house, but you get to say, you know, let me, I get to pick the police officer who executes a search warrant. I get to pick because, you know, I'm thinking my cousin Fred over here. I'm thinking these people I know. I'm going to get a police officer friendly to me to come execute that search warrant. That's what, that's the same thing as what they're saying. So they finally settled on one 
entity or two entities that, that they said were valid. I know that there were entities vying to do it who actually have experience and credibility, but no, those groups were not selected. So Maricopa County finally says, okay, we're gonna have an audit. They get to pick the auditors. Those firms reportedly um, were not given access, um, let me say it this way, the validity of the two million ballots in this county, so two million ballots, huge, bigger, you know, much bigger than the, than the uh, difference between the winner and loser uh, in that state. The validity of two million ballots in the county was never even considered in the programs reportedly used by the audit firm. So many people are saying this wasn't an audit. And so now the Senate, back to Arizona Senate, saying, you know what, you got it, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, we want to see the machines. We want to see the ballots. So that's what they're trying to get that to come forward now. I mean, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors is not acting like any innocent actor would act. They're not. They're blocking. So now the big news finally was that they, um, the Arizona, okay, the Arizona Senate finally stepped in, passed a bill, had to pass a bill to grant the legislature the authority to subpoena election records. So now they have the subpoena out. The Senate is rocking and rolling, going to uh, try to actually get access to the machines and the ballots. And according um, today, so, so what happened, I'm sorry, the big story, what ended up happening was today some other interested individuals in the county stopped by the facility, the Maricona, Maricopa County Tabulation and Election Center. The Maricopa County Tabulation and Election Center, interested parties, stopped by on Saturday, found the doors wide open, which seems like that would not be consistent with protecting the information inside, and other people in the county stopped by the same place, found huge piles of ballots in the dumpster outside the facility. It appeared someone had ordered the ballots to be shredded. And on top of that, a mysterious fire happened at the home or the ranch of one of the individuals involved with the Maricopa County Ballot Board. And I'll close this because I'm out of time. I want to close this topic and tell you why I talked about it today. We are facing in this country the most unrelenting, determined mission of some people on the American left to say, America will not ever get to the truth about what happened in the 2020 elections. We're entitled to cheat. We're entitled to defy the, the elected representatives in the Senate. We're entitled apparently to shred ballots. And now you have the Democrats in Washington saying, and we're gonna put in place HR1 so you'll never again have a fair election in the future of all of America. And you're gonna have Biden facilitating overriding the state's right under the Constitution to create uh, election law, because that's what the Constitution says, all in the excuse of, well, you know, we're just trying to protect against potential racism. People, we have on the left in Washington and in the left across this country, a real, a deeply determined leftist mentality. They stole this election and they're damn straight going to make sure that they get the full benefit of having done that. Meaning, they are going to put forth every piece of legislation they can possibly muster and get through. They're going to block review of everything they did. And it is incumbent on patriots, Republicans, conservatives to take action now in every single state with respect to election fraud. 
every single state needs to pass the most stringent election integrity legislation possible in the face of what the left is telling you. They're looking you right in the face and telling you, we will do this. We will never allow review of anything we have done. You will never get to see it. And we will pass legislation that makes sure you never again have a free and transparent election. Now's the time to fight, my friends. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories you talked about today matter to you. So I started our show today um, talking about the um, International Women's Day and Andrew Cuomo. And that was a, um, it was a great story. Enjoy talking to you about it. Um, Biden administration honors International Women's Day while simultaneously pushing the Equality Act, which denies the existence of biological women. Curious, very curious, that's true. Um, and uh, seeks to make the entire concept of gender meaningless, in which case, why are we talking about women? That would be a very good question. Um, and then completely silent on five credible accusations of sexual harassment of women by Democrat Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo was among the harshest in condemning Brett Kavanaugh over accusations that were not nearly as credible as those made against Cuomo. Biden himself was credibly accused of sexual harassment, but the Democrat mainstream media big tech alliance squelched it. Hypocrisy is not new to politics and hypocrites are bipartisan, but is it possible Americans are reaching a tipping point or revulsion <clears throat> toward the ruling class? And we sent the COVID bonanza bill when billions, even trillions in government payments are made to men, women, and children without any work requirement, this is wealth redistribution taking place on an enormous scale right in front of your eyes. The welfare state's being reconstructed, a leftist Marxist cloward piven vision of overthrowing American freedom and the free market economic system is being implemented. When, when wealth redistribution takes place on an enormous scale, and the welfare state is being reconstructed as a direct result of economic collapse engineered by government-ordered lockdowns, millions of Americans question whether the pandemic was an, an unanticipated, naturally occurring emergency or a manufactured crisis. On Arizona's ballots in the dumpster program, Maricopa County, Arizona, home to Phoenix, Scottsdale area, is Democrat-controlled, a focal point of election irregularities since November 3rd. County supervisors refused a court order to open voting machines to inspection. Now, Arizona State Senate ordered an audit of paper ballots to be followed by the appearance of shredded, was then followed by the appearance of shredded ballots in a dumpster outside the voting, board, voting headquarters. Arizona is a window on almost all official behavior through the USA regarding demands to do an actual investigation of election fraud concerns. Common sense says these are not the actions of honest officials with nothing to hide. This is why election fraud concerns will not go away. Angry denials are not investigations and common sense still resides in a vast majority of the American people. Friends, I have three actually very special things to tell you at the end of this show today. Number one, if you subscribe to my newsletter, you may have noticed you didn't receive it. Google, Google, and you know, its continuing censorship efforts has um, shut down my my newsletter thing. So we're gonna we're resurrecting it. We're gonna move it over to a new platform. But this is Google interfering with the freedom of speech in this country. Google flagged an email I sent 15 months ago, like the January 2020 email, 
and said it had a link to something that was, you know, was, was not, um, whatever, not acceptable, a dangerous website, but no matter what you do, you can't get them to tell you what the website was, what they're talking about, you can't penetrate, you can't talk to a person, but my account has been shut down, so we're finding a new way. You will get this week's newsletter, and you get next week's newsletter, and if you don't subscribe to it, you should. Go to americacanwetalk.org on the homepage, hit subscribe, and you will be able to get access to our once a week newsletter. It's filled with links to the show, information, great source of news. Love to have you subscribe to our, our, our newsletter by going to americacanwetalk.org. Number two, we have our membership new program launching in April. Starting the first Thursday of April, which is April 1st, we're going to have a system where the same uh, format will apply from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Show is every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for everybody, free for everybody. Thursday is going to be for members only. And the way you'll get to that is through our website, americacanwetalk.org. You go to the website and there you can watch the live show. I've already got a stellar lineup of people coming to be our special guests on that membership Thursday. And it'll be a very different format because it's not a show with me telling you things and showing things. It's the opportunity for us to have a conversation. It's the opportunity for you to send in questions using our uh, several different ways, which I'll explain, and which are either our texting system or via email. You can send in questions. There'll be a small audience in the room. You'll be able to be part of a conversation with the people who are there. So I hope you'll consider joining. It's only $5 a month or $50 a year. I'll be soon putting up on our website, americacanwetalk.org, the details of how to sign up. So you can, and we'll leave it up so you can find that there and find out how to sign up. I'd love to have you sign up to become a member. Membership is going to allow us to continue to be an advertisement-free show. When you listen to my show, you're not having ads interrupt. You're not having people interrupt. It's just... It's just you and it's just us talking to each other about America. And that's one thing membership will do is allow us to continue to be advertisement free. And the third thing I want to say again about International Women's Day is I do celebrate women's role in America. I love that there are laws that say equal access to women to education, to employment, to careers, uh, equal access, uh, not promised equal pay for the same job, but the idea that we have the requirement that you can't you know, favor men over women, and so we have the right to complain about discrimination and payment. I think all those things are great things. I think women should participate fully in the American political conversation, the American uh, world of politics, in, in the world of business and law and medicine, everywhere else. I am not enamored of the mindset for International Women's Day that says it's the day to bemoan the fate of women who are mistreated all the time because America is a noble place full of great people who do great things. And the idea of us focusing on discrimination, which does happen and we have remedies available, but the idea of, of us focusing on women as victims is not good enough for America. It's not good enough for American women. American women to be celebrated for their intelligence, virtue, hard work, participation, their presence in the family, their role as moms, their role in any jobs they seek to have. I do celebrate women and that way I like International Women's Day, but I don't like what the left tries to turn into, which is another victim fest, another opportunity to be outraged, to express outrage, to be denigrating of America. 
America is why I do this show. I do this show Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to speak up for America, the most noble experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth. I thank you for listening to America Can We Talk. Tune in next time, and I talk about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can We Talk? Truth About America.